Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you feel blessed by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Well, we're going back into the book of Hebrews. I'm really excited to finish this series. It's probably going to take us another three, four weeks now to, uh, to finish it out. And you say, well, why didn't you finish it before? Because we always take a break at Christmas. So we started book, the book of Hebrews back in September. And uh, in Christmas, we like to focus on that. And the new year, we like to really uh, set the messages. It was a great series this Christmas. If you missed any of it, I tell you to go online and listen to it. So Hebrews is, uh, I think, one of the most incredible books in the Bible. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. That in the book of Romans, I, I could just keep going back to, and I often do. And I'll tell you why. The book of Hebrews um, really connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. And when you understand the book of Hebrews, you understand the significance of the things that happened in the old and how they're fulfilled in the new. You know, one of our courses on Wednesday night, groups night, that's starting in the next couple weeks here, we're actually teaching an Old Testament survey or really about uh, talking about the way that leads to Jesus and this understanding of how uh, our, our guests, our speakers, this calling it the prequel to Jesus. When you understand the Old Testament, you begin to understand the new. And so I encourage you, if you don't know a course that you're going to take yet on Wednesday nights, Paul Quantz is going to lead us through that study of characters and storyline and theology of the old and how it's fulfilled and how it leads to the road of Jesus. The great um, theologian Augustine, who was from three, uh, uh, 354 AD, said this quote, and I love it. He said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so that's why you study the Old Testament. There's so many connection points. And the book of Hebrews is an incredible book in the Bible that ties the storyline of Christ back to the Old Testament. And so, so many good things. Because the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish converts, people that were uh, moving out of the Old Testament understanding of how to be right with God through uh, sacrifices and through their obedience to the law and through their own self-efforts coming into the New Testament, which is uh, trusting Christ for this righteousness, trusting in Christ's, Christ's finished work uh, for them and behalf of them and turning away from their own works of trying to be right with God. And so that's an incredible thing. They began to turn from Jesus. And, and, and this is an incredible book because even then they're being challenged and even persecuted by putting their faith in Jesus' finished work. And so righteousness is this interesting thing that you hear at church all the time. But I want to take a few minutes today just to talk about it as we continue in the book of Hebrews. Righteousness is a very simple word. Uh, it's complex in its meaning and nuances, but what it means is to have right standing with God. That's what righteousness is. And I want you to grasp something. Every, every single religion in the world has this in common. They all tell you how to be right with God. They all tell you uh, this is what it means to be righteous. Do this thing, do this thing, jump over this hoop, uh, you know, then you're right with God. And so just get that and understand it. But I got to tell you, Christianity is a little bit different. It's the only religion in the world that says you cannot be right with God 
based on your own efforts. What? Yeah, Christianity basically is the one that says, yeah, you can stop trying right now because you can't do it. You cannot do it in your own strength, your own sacrifices, your own efforts. You need to turn and trust to God, trusting God. You know, this is why Jesus Christ is a stumbling block for so many people. I've told you this before, my, my barber is a Muslim, and uh, I often talk religious things with him. And uh, we have great conversations about righteousness, about faith, about those things. But he cannot get over this con- concept of placing your faith in God versus trying to do all these works. It's really the, the thing that we kind of debate. He's like, well, I don't understand that. How can you do that? And then we get into that a little bit, and he's got sharp knives and stuff, so I don't, I don't go too far, but I do enjoy him. He's a friend of mine. He's let me pray for him and his wife when she was suffering from cancer, which is phenomenal, isn't it? You know, guys, people just want to know God. They just want to know God. And so you are there as an ambassador of Christ, which is so powerful and beautiful. But listen to how serious this is. We're going to start in the book of Romans just with this scripture. And let me read it to you, Romans 3. But now God has shown us a different way to heaven, not by being good enough and trying to keep His laws, but by a new way. Don't, it's not really new, for the Scriptures foretold about it long ago. It's the way of faith. Now God says He will accept us and acquit us, declare us not guilty if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And all, we all can be saved in the same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we have been like. Yes, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending Him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who is in His kindness freely takes away our sins. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in Him sets us in the free and clear. Wow. That's actually a great scripture, amen? And this is the story of all the religions in the world. You see, all the religions in the world say you must live a life of sacrifice and service for your sins in order to be right with God. And this is the problem that the message of Christ or Christianity seeks to resolve. By simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive righteousness as a gift from God. The very thing we're trying to strain toward and do, we cannot do without God. So problem solved. Everybody just needs to become a Christian. Amen. Hallelujah. That's true. But I'm going to tell you there's a little bit more to it than that, and I'm going to tell you why. Sometimes Christians have trouble believing our own message. That's very true. See, the the greatest problem, church, in the church today is also its solution, and we're going to get there in a moment. Hebrews 10, that's where we're going to camp for most of the rest of this sermon, says this, day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, 
which can never take away sins. And when this priest, referring to Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. See, the greatest problem in the church today is sacrifice for sin. And the solution to all our problems in the church today is sacrifice for sin. Let's pray. Father God, we, we desperately need you. Holy Spirit, come as we dig into the basis of Christianity today, the, the very foundation of the message of Jesus. Lord, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better, so that we can know the hope to which you have called us, God, that we can understand that we've received a glorious inheritance in Christ. Hallelujah, Lord. Teach us that inheritance, that great power that you have baptized the church with, Lord, the power of the resurrection, the power of being set free from trying to strive in our own efforts and truly to stop and to trust and to rest in you. We thank you for that, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen? amen. That was very weak amen. I need a greater amen. amen. Okay, thank you. See, when you say amen, what you're saying is, let it be. Not the Beatles song, let it be, but you're saying it to God, amen? Let it be. And you're agreeing with me, which opens your heart up. <laughs> yeah. When you say, let it be, God, you're saying, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm present. For those of you watching online, say amen. Your world, your family may think you're a little weird, but just say it, amen. We're waiting. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> well, the greatest problem in the church today is sacrifice for sin. Hebrews 5 warns us about this. It's not going to come on your screen, but I'll read it to you. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, still being an infant. You're not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Right standing with God. And what the, the person who wrote the book of Hebrews, we don't know who he is or she is, but uh, we know that when they wrote this book, this book um, they said the foundation, the elementary truths, the very, very thing that you build your life upon as a Christian is the teachings about righteousness, about how to be right with God. And the pro problem with the church today, as I've already said, we are already righteous, but we live like the other religions of this world. We start and start trying to attain righteousness by our own efforts, our own sacrifices, and our own ways of getting out of sin. Now, don't get me wrong. The Christian message is a message of living a sacrificial life. 
but you live a sacrificial life not in order to be right with God. You live a sacrificial life because you are right with God. And because you are right with God, you say, God, I love you. I thank you that you made one sacrifice for sins, and I've been made righteous because of that. So, Lord, now I want to live a life that glorifies you. I want to live a life that says, God, you've done it all. So I'm here to worship you, to praise you, to give thanks to you, Lord. Hallelujah. That's your only sacrifice, by the way. Amen? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with yeah you got it that's your job that's the sacrifice of the church to do all that well let's take a look at that from our text amen (laughs) the book of of hebrews again i love that verse that message every priest goes to work at the altar each day offers the same old sacrifices year in and year out and never makes a dent in the sin problem. That's the issue. So what kind of sacrifices are we offering up in order to be right with God? Well, here's the first one. The Bible calls it condemnation. You think, well, that's just me feeling bad. How can that be a sacrifice that I'm offering up? Well, think about it. If you're living in uh, condemnation, you feel like you constantly fall short. You feel like you are never good enough. If I could just do this one thing, then I would be acceptable to God. Then God would give me righteousness. And, And that's how we live. We try and do that. But we never arrive there. If I could just get a little bit further, if I could just do a little bit more. And that manifests in multiple ways, one of them being self crucifixion. We constantly are beating ourselves up, trying to be better. We whip ourselves enough time. God, am I acceptable now? God, I'm so sorry for my sin. I grew up Catholic, so, you know, I, I had two aunts that were nuns Catholic. You know what I'm saying? Like, there you go. So we have a nun in the house. Amen. <laughs> you understand? So I understood, like, beating yourself up. I understood going to confessional. I got that. Dear God, what a terrifying thing. I lied all the time going to confession. I mean, isn't that terrible to admit that? It's like, I'm not telling this guy what I did because this will freak me right out. (laughs) That's terrible. Anyhow, I'm confessing that now. Father Floyd, if you're watching, I'm sorry I lied to you while I was confessing things. (laughs) So day after day, we're standing and performing. We're performing. We never find rest. You know, then we enter into this self-martyrdom idea, this act of condemnation. And one of the greatest acts of condemnation, you're going to hear me now, is the refusal to forgive yourself when you have failed. Yeah. You know what you're actually saying? My standard of righteousness is higher than God's. Wow. Wow. So I, you know, when you refuse to forgive yourself, it sounds noble. It sounds right, right? It sounds like God's going to be happy with me now, but the exact opposite is true. You know, you say things like, if I hadn't committed this sin, then I would have been acceptable to God. Wow. You see, the problem with living in condemnation, it says more about you than about your belief in God. It says more about you than how you are trusting God. 
you know, it's saying that Jesus' sacrifice was not good enough. When God says you're forgiven, guess what? You are forgiven. And so this is the idea of the sacrifice that sometimes we as Christians are offering up to God because we don't understand. We don't understand the gift of righteousness. We don't understand the basic elemental truths of the gospel, the foundational truths, you guys. It's a sin because it says God's sacrifice is not good enough. I've said this to you before, but I love this statement. You can never disillusion God. He never had any illusions of you in the first place. Amen? Like, guys, you think that God picked you not knowing everything you were about to do? Do you think that God picked you because you're the best? You're the best. I'm lucky to have that one. Wow. They never sin. No. He picked you in spite of the fact that you're still going to blow it, which is the message of the gospel, actually. Christ gave us the gift of righteousness not because we earned it or deserved it. He gave it to us because of the greatness of His mercy. So condemnation is a sacrifice that we offer up sometimes. And we're like, God, am I acceptable now? Look, I feel bad. I feel really bad. No, God. Seriously, is that enough? And God says, no. I'm never going to accept you on the basis of those things. Well, what's the opposite of condemnation. It's interesting because the opposite coin, when condemnation's on one side, the opposite coin is pride. Pride. You see, we declare our innocence before God in this self-righteous me- methodology, how we measure up to others, right? Well, I'm better than that one. I don't drink, or I don't smoke, or I don't do, or all those things. We say, God, am I acceptable now? You see, I'm better than them. And God's like, that's not how you measure righteousness. It's a gift, you know? If, I, if my good works are good enough, then surely I measure up. How many of you know it's not hard to be better than the world right now? <laughs> Seriously, have you looked at the world today? Good is evil. Evil is good. Dang, that's a low bar, you guys. That's a low bar. When you're saying, I'm a little better than the world, well, you should be a little better than the world because God's in you and He's changing you. And here's the problem with living in self-righteousness. You're always going to meet somebody who's a little better than you. And guess what you do when you do that? You flip the coin over and become condemned. And so this idea of self-righteousness is not a sacrifice that's going to help you to reach God. And then here's the other side of pride. It's religious hypocrisy. Here's what ends up happening, is that when you're, when you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and you're portraying this thing, you become a hypocrite because you think, I can't reach the level that I'm trying to hold others to, so then I'm going to pretend that I am. And that was the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They were self-righteous and they were hypocritical. I mean, Jesus actually told me, you hypocrites, you strain out a a gnat, and you swallow a camel. You guys are brutal. You're neglecting the more important parts of the law. You're not being kind. You're not being merciful. You're not being good. But because you keep one part of it, you think you're good enough. Dang. You travel all over the world 
to win a single convert, and then you make him twice as a son of hell as you are. <laughs> Jesus never read, you know, how to win people and influence their character. He never read that book. He was just honest with them. You know, the Apostle Paul came to this realization who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And then he met Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and he was knocked on his brains, um, on his rear end, actually. Look what he says in Romans 7. I know that there's nothing good in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I, I can't. See, that's the revelation you have to come to. That's the revelation you have to come to. Righteousness is not by what you do or fail to do. It's a sheer gift from God. This is the foundation stone of Christianity. Will I trust you, God, or my own religious efforts? Look at Romans 8. I'm going to read this section. Romans 8. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us into the open, into spacious, free life. Focusing on self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed on self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. Guys, this is, this is false Christianity. When we turn to either condemnation or pride, the whole focus is self. Self, self, how am I doing? I'm doing better. I'm better than them. Oh, God, I'm a worm. I'm a worm. Are you accepted now? Do you accept me today? And God is saying and looking at us and says, no. You know, guys, two people can do the exact same things, praying, giving, serving, sacrifice, and one has the fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, wow, grace, and the other person doing the exact same things has no peace. Why? Because one focuses on doing those things from a self-centered perspective, and the other focuses on doing those things from a God-centered perspective. They're totally different. And this is what God is calling the church people to understand. You know, we cry out to God and we say, God, am I acceptable now? Am I acceptable now? You know, we don't want to be those people that are doing all our religious duties like those priests standing in the temple. Am I doing enough now, God? Do you accept me now? Do you accept me now? And God keeps saying no. No. How can I? And then we cry out to God, what do you want from me? You ever had a tantrum with God? I'm not going to church anymore. I don't get this stuff. I'm not showing up. And then we realize, where, God, where are you? God's like, I'm standing over here where you had a tantrum and walked away from me. Do you remember? <laughs> and you go back and you say, God, I'm going to try harder. I'm, gonna, I'm tired. I'm burned out. I'm, you know, we try to strain to appease God. And we say, God, are you happy with my sacrifice? It sounds good, you guys. It sounds right. It's very religious. Look at all that I'm doing, God. Aren't you pleased? Don't you accept me now? And God answers us this way, which is very disturbing. I cannot accept you based on your sacrifices. Because then I have to reject the one sacrifice that can actually change you. <sighs> 
God. Wow. To accept your sacrifice, he would have to reject Christ, which is the only sacrifice that can change you. See, I said to you, the problem with the church is that we offer sacrifices for sin, but the solution for the church is one sacrifice for sin. Okay? Let's look at that now. You see, the call of the church is to rest in the one sacrifice of God in His Son, Jesus. Hebrews 10, 12 says this, when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, guys, it's a universal sacrifice for all time, and it's available for all people. You see, Christianity is actually an open door for every single person to come in. It's universal in that sense, but it's also entirely exclusive in that you have to trust God, repent of your own attempts to be righteous, and embrace Christ. So at the same time as being universal, the entry of the door is that you will believe the message, repent and believe. That's the call of God to the church, repent and believe. And every single human being, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world, especially those who believe. Guys, there's nothing, nothing keeping people away from God except themselves. Amen? It's a door locked on the inside, and you have the key, and the key is called faith and repentance. God, sorry I tried to do this on my own. I trust you, Lord. Come into my life, God. Help me, God. So it's a universal message but it's exclusive to those who believe and trust in Jesus. It's also a complete message. You notice what it said? When he had offered all for one time sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, I've told you this before, but it's worth repeating. Priests could never sit down in the Old Testament temple. There is literally no chairs for them to sit down, except one. We'll get there in a minute. So their, what was it symbolizing? Their work was never done. Day after day, month after month, year after year, they offered the same sacrifices which could never make a dent in the problem of sin. But Jesus, fancy pants Jesus, comes along and offers one sacrifice, and then he sits down at the right hand of God. Wow. How can that be true, God? Hallelujah. It's complete. He appeased God for all time, atoned for, removed our sins. Then he sat in the only seat in the temple, the mercy seat that is found in the Holy of Holy. Now, you know the temple, I'm going to just explain it for those of you that don't know. It's, a, it's just the temple where God dwelt and, and uh, symbolizing where God dwelt. And uh, it had an outer court where Gentiles who were not Jewish could go that wanted to be right with God, but they couldn't go any further. And then there was an inner court where all the Jews could gather. And then from next court was called the holy place. And that's where the priests, these are the serious ones that are really following God, they could go and they would offer the sacrifices that God called them to offer. And that, you know, you can only get so close and then the next level you could get so close. And then there was a place called the holy of holies. 
And that was where the Ark of the Covenant was. You remember the Ark of the Covenant? Um, it's got two cherubs, two angels bowing, one bowing on this side, and then another bowing on this side. And in the middle is the mercy seat, okay? And uh, this was covered. Nobody could go in except one priest once a year. This high priest would go in once a year. He would sprinkle the mercy seat with the blood of an, a, a sacrificed animal, and then they would get out of there because this is the holiest place. And uh, so this is this temple system that for generation upon generation, people would go and they would say, God, you know, I'm acceptable now because the sacrifice has been made. But it was always symbolic of what Jesus would do. And when Jesus died, remember the Holy of Holies had this three-inch woven curtain. So nothing could get in there. Do you understand three-inch woven? You can't tear that thing. You can't, I don't know what would it take to tear that thing. But the moment Jesus died, the Bible says the curtain tore from the top to the bottom, and it opened up. Do you know what that was symbolizing? The way to God is open. I mean, can you imagine the terror? No one's seen the Holy of Holies. Suddenly the curtain tears, and it's literally exposed. This Ark of the Covenant is exposed. Ah! You know, you're a priest. You can't even see the thing. And suddenly it's open to all mankind for all to see. Now, this is a great scripture. I'm going to read it to you because it's so cool. Listen to this. This is in John chapter 20. Jesus dies. Remember I told you the curtain's been opened. Listen to what it actually says. A woman came to anoint his body. One of the women that followed him came to anoint his body. She looked into the place where his body was laying, and she saw two angels dazzling white in their robes, sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at his head and one at his feet. Remember the two angels that are on the Ark of the Covenant? And what's in between them? The mercy seat. And where was Jesus' body laid? On the mercy seat. Wow. So guys, why that curtain was torn in two and why the access to God happened was because Jesus died, made one sacrifice for sin, and it was done. The actions, and the, it's open to you guys. This is the message of Christianity. This is the foundational message of Christianity. Access to God, open. Come just as you are. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 10. I'm just carrying on in Hebrews 10. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. By one sacrifice, Jesus has taken our place, sinful, broken, separated from God, and in turn, He gave us His place accepted, loved, cherished child of God, and He gave us a sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Stop condemning yourself. Stop living in self-righteousness and in pride. You have been accepted by God. You've been adopted by God. You've been forgiven by God. There's no longer any need for any sacrifice, church. Your sacrifices now are, again, you enter His gates with Thanksgiving and his courts with, that's it. 
All you do. Every week I come to church. Every week I come to church, I raise my hands as high as I can because I'm worshiping God, not because of being perfectly right that week or doing everything perfect, but because Jesus Christ finished everything. I come to him and I say, Lord God, thank you that you did everything that I can come into your presence and worship you, God. That's it, Lord. I I can't do any more than come and offer thanksgiving, offer praise to you, Lord, and live a life of service to you, Lord, because you finished it. It's a complete sacrifice. It's a perfect sacrifice. It's open to all mankind with one key. Will you trust God? Will you trust that God would be good enough to forgive you? That God would offer you adoption into his family? That God would build an eternal home for you? Guys, this world is but a drop, a drop in eternity. Yet we live our whole lives for this 70, 80, 90 years. We live our whole lives there. It's nothing. It's nothing. We think our our retirement is in this world. It's not. Your retirement is coming. Live a life of service to God because He's done it all. Wow. God, you're so good. This is not just good theology I'm teaching today, guys. It's essential for your growth and faith. How can God do that? I'm a screw-up. I'm a mess, Pastor Greg. Well, Hebrews 10 goes on and says this, because of one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever, past tense, those who are still being made holy. Hallelujah. Let me read it again in the the Message Bible. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. It was a perfect sacrifice made by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. Amen if that's you. Amen. Amen. Wow, God, you picked me. I wouldn't have picked me, but you picked me. And God picked you knowing. You know, he chose the weak things of the world. He chose the foolish things of this world to display his message. See, the message of Christianity that you have to share with people, you guys, is not, you know, you can be like me. Perfect. You can be like me. Holy, holy, holy. No, the message you have to share with this world is to say, if God picked me, He can pick you. If God opened the door for me, hallelujah, there's room for you. You know what the message of Christianity is? It's just one beggar showing another beggar where they can get bread. That's it. It's like, wow, I got a guy who's given me bread for nothing. I don't earn it. I can't deserve it. I don't even work for it. He just gives it to me. Do you want to know where that is? He's got so much bread to give. Whoo! <laughs> God is preaching to the world through your life. Not because you're perfect. Not because you're all those things but because you've chosen to trust God and follow Him. And that's your message to this world. You know, you no longer come to church to try and please God. You need to start coming because He's already pleased with you. He picked you. Hallelujah. 
You don't have to change things before you come, but give him the right to change whatever he's pleasing. You know, guys, this is why the message of Christ is universal. You go to the world and you say, I don't care if you're gay, if you're straight, I don't care if you're a drug addict, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Come into the presence of God and give him the right to say, God, change whatever you want to change. Amen. This is the message of the church, you guys. Now, I can't change that message to suit your lifestyle or behavior, but I can say the door is open for you and let God come in and change you. Amen? Well, if God doesn't want our sacrifices, church, what does He want? It's a good question to ask. Do you know God's Bible is so amazing? Anybody ever figure that out? It's an amazing book. Do you know the answer to the question I just gave you is actually in chapter 10? That if we just read a few more verses, we actually get the answer to that question? Isn't God's Word amazing? Here's the first part of it. If God doesn't want our sacrifices, what does He want? Well, number one is this, persevere in faith. You know, the Bible has this great juxtaposition, and it says this, make every effort to enter in His rest. Make an effort to rest? Come on, God. God, Why? Why would God say that? Well, because We are driven and bent on being self-centered and trying and trying and working and working. And God says, no, turn your effort to resting. Turn your effort to trusting in me. Make every effort. It changes the way you read the Bible. It changes, changes why you serve. It changes why you share. I share from a position of rest. I'm accepted, I'm secure, hallelujah, right? I'm significant. That's who I am in Christ. Wow. Persevere in faith. Hebrews 10 says this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. What's he telling you? If he doesn't want my sacrifice for sin, if he doesn't want my, you know, my greatest effort to try and be right with him, but to accept the fact that I am right with him, and now I live my life in faith. That's my whole thing. God, I from faith to faith. The Christian life is not faith to works. Doesn't it say that? The righteous shall live by great efforts. The righteous shall live by offering their own sacrifices to be right with God. No. Your righteous shall live from faith to faith. Faith to faith. So every week I come, every week I come, and I don't say, well, God, I was better this week. God, I did more this week. No, I say, God, no matter what I did, it's filthy rags before you because the only way I'm going to be right with God is by trusting in the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. That's it. That's why I can enter his gates. That's why I can come before him. Jesus finished the work. 
You know, they asked Jesus because they were very concerned. These Jewish Christians were very concerned. These Jewish people who were asked, being asked by God to trust Him, they were very concerned about what righteous act should we do? Tell us how to be right with God. And Jesus gives them an answer, and they're all ready with their big pens or quills. And He says, those who want to be right with God. It's incredible. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. That's it. Really? What's number two? Refer to number one. <laughs> it's, it's like, are you serious? Can you see why it's a stumbling block to people who have lived their whole lives trying, doing, acting, being better than everyone else. And some guy comes who's broken, who's devastated his life, who's devastated those around him, and he comes in that humble state, and he says, God, forgive me. And God says to him, welcome home. And sometimes religious people look at that and go, this can't be happening. He hasn't done anything to deserve it. He hasn't worked hard enough. How can he come into the house of God and be accepted by God just like that? Because he's tried everything else in this world and it doesn't work. Come on. <laughs> so the first thing is we persevere in faith. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep yielding. Keep loving. Keep rejoicing. Keep serving. Keep giving because you are right with God, not in order to be right with God. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, here's the second part. Can you believe that it actually gives us a few more things to do? Persevere in encouragement. Look what it says in Hebrews 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The greatest sacrifice that God is asking us to do is not only to trust Him, but then to help others to trust Him. That's it. Persevere in encouragement. God, I don't, guys, I don't know if you know this, but we're in the last moments of history. This is it. You know, I don't know what's going to happen to us. I don't know what kind of persecution we're going to have to go through. I don't know. But I know this. God says, keep encouraging people. Keep encouraging people. You know, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But all the more gather, all the more pray for each other, all the more help one another. Why? Because this is the message of the church. You found your way to the bread. Now tell others about the bread. Encourage others. You know, you see someone not in church for a while, don't go, oh, man, he's such a sinner. Why is he such a sinner? Sinner's not coming to church. No, say, man, I miss you. I miss you, brother. I miss you, sister. Man, it's so good to see you when you're in the house of God. Doesn't cost you anything. Amen? Just give away what Christ has given you. Hallelujah. You know, church, here's, uh, here's a tough one. You ready? Church isn't all about you. 
(laughs) The greatest fulfillment you're going to find in church is when you serve others. You know, I, when I first got saved, I used, to, I used to go to church and I used to have an attitude. I'd be like, I don't like this guy's preaching. I like it when the other guy preaches. I don't like this worship. This guy's the worst worship leader. I want the other guy in, the other lady. She's way better. And God was like, what are you talking about? Like, dude. So he talks to me. Anyway. I, <laughs> anyway. Point is, God says it's not about you and your preferences. It's about leading others to find me, that you found me. You see, Greg, you are accepted, you're secure, you're significant because you're in my house. Now help others. Help others. Amen? That's the call of God. So good. I love that. My whole life changed in church when I didn't make it about me. Everything changed. I was working in an electronics company and doing very well for myself, and God's like, I'm calling you to ministry. I'm like, well, that's inconvenient, God. (laughs) I could have a comfortable life and retirement by staying right where I am. But how many know when God gets a hold of your heart, you don't care? You don't care. Amen? You don't care. We left a church of over 1,000 people to come to a church of 25 to come to Mournville. You know what? It's the greatest decision we ever made in our life. Why? Because God was in it, and God said, this is where I want you to serve me. I said, yes, Lord. Thank God I said yes. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. So persevere in encouragement, help others. Lastly, persevere in true freedom. Hebrews 10 says this. This is where it gets a little harder. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. Now, guys, this is not speaking about, remember, we've been made right with God. This is not talking about people who've just come into the faith, people who are like, I'm struggling with everything, because I struggled with everything when I first came into the faith. Guys, I had every issue still going on in my life. I had all kinds of issues still going on. And yet somebody came alongside of me and said, it's okay, keep going. It's okay, keep going. It's okay. You stumbled, now get up. Get up. Keep walking. Keep walk. Crawl if you have to crawl. And so it's not talking about, this passage is not talking about people who are overcoming and learning to live in righteousness and learning to walk with God. It's not talking about that. It's talking about believers who have turned to sin and say it's acceptable. Oh, I don't have to change anything. God loves me. You told me I was righteous, pastor. No, God's saying, guys, don't live that way. Don't say sin is an option for me to continue to live in. Why would Jesus be okay with you living in sin when he died on the cross to set you free from sin? It doesn't make any sense, you guys. Come on. You know, there's things I got to let go of and things I got to say no to anymore. God, I gotta, you got to help me to overcome this. Now, I don't try to fix it on my own. I say, God, I'm coming to you. I'm coming in the light. You're shining on an area of my life, and I'm saying, God, help me now. God, set me free. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean what God's working on in your life is what he's working on in everybody's life. That's important for you to understand that. 
Because sometimes we, God sets us free from something, and then we think everybody else should be doing what we're doing. Okay? You getting me? Okay. Like I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, an example I gave in the first service. I don't drink alcohol. I drink water and different things. Um, <laughs> it's not gin. It's water, okay? You know why I don't drink? Because God told me to stop. Incessantly, He told me. And finally, I, I yielded and said, Lord, I'm with you. Now, that doesn't mean I get to look at somebody else who maybe have a, a casual whatever. It's not my business. How God deals with them, and I'm talking about the gray areas now. There are black and whites in Scripture. Black and whites, it says, don't get drunk. Don't cause somebody else to stumble. Well, that's very clear in Scripture. But if you have a drink, I, I'm not, I can't judge you on that. Okay, I'm not giving you license to go drink, by the way. But I'm just saying how God dealt with me was an area that I had to say no to then. And it's a rock-solid line for me. Which I think is a good thing as a pastor. Simply because I'm watching others get free from it who have a problem with it. Amen? Okay. So I'm giving you those examples. Because God does something in me doesn't mean He's asking everybody else to do it. However, when you ask Him, if He says, I don't want you doing that, then you say, Lord, help me to be free from this then. Okay? Okay. Persevere in true freedom, you guys. Hallelujah. There's a great story in the book of Jonah. We're going to close with this. It's the story of God's unfailing love. Now, Jonah goes and being asked by God, he's a prophet of God, he's being asked by God to go to a country called Nineveh, which is the Ninevites, which were brutal people that really hurt God's people and damaged them. And God says to this prophet, he says, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them that in 40 days, I'm going to judge them for their sin. (laughs) Jonah hates them so much, he says, not a chance, God. And he gets on a boat to to go the exact opposite way. (laughs) And guess what happens? A storm comes upon the boat. And it's so bad that all the sailors on board are like, what is going on? They believed in a, a God. They didn't know God. But they said, oh, man, we must have done, somebody on the boat's done something serious here. And so they basically find out, they say, who's causing this? And the, Jonah says, it's me. I'm fleeing from God. I'm not listening to him. And they're terrified of Jonah now because they think, we can't kill this guy. He's a prophet of God. And uh, the, the storm gets worse. They're trying to row in. They can't do anything. And Jonah says, throw me overboard and you'll be fine. Can you imagine he so doesn't want to do the will of God that he's willing to drown rather than do the will of God? <laughs> they throw him overboard. They ask God for mercy don't, that we killed one of your prophets. And the, the seas calm down instantly. Wow. Jonah's like, I'd rather die than obey you now, God. And God sends a, some kind of huge fish. We don't know what he did. He swallows them whole. So now he's in the belly of a whale for three days. It symbolizes Christ going to the grave for three days. It's all incredible stuff. Remember, the Old Testament and the New Testament is revealed. Wow, wow, wow. 
Jesus died and was buried for three days. Okay, so there's cool stuff there. Finally, Jonah comes to his senses, and he's like, God, forgive me. I, I'm covered in seaweed. I'm, I'm in torment here. What am I going to do? God, and God's like, are you going to obey me? And he says, yes, Lord. I mean, we don't know what happened in the belly of the whale, okay? But I think he got bleached by the acid in the stomach. That's what I think. The whale spits him up on the shore of Nineveh. <laughs> and he comes out covered in seaweed. I don't know if his skin is bleached. I'm not sure. But he starts to preach to the Ninevites of repentance. They are listening to this guy because he's literally been spit up by a whale. And they're like, okay. And from the king down, he orders the entire nation to repent. Nineveh tells him, in 40 days, you're going to be judged by God. And from the king down, they all start to repent. They wear sackcloth and ashes, and they ask God to forgive them for their licentious, wicked lifestyles. And this is so funny. Because of the nation's repentance, they're all forgiven. And I love what Jonah, said, Jonah says to God. It's hilarious. You can read the book. It's only four chapters. It's such a good book. He says to God, I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. You're the God who relents from sending calamity. I knew that about you. That's why I didn't want to preach to these people. Because I knew you were going to forgive them. I knew you were going to be merciful. I knew you were going to be gracious. Oh, it's funny. It's a great book. Read it yourself. Point is this. How can God be so kind as to forgive you of your sins? How can God be so merciful? Because he chose to be. That's it. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But it's yours. This is the message of the church. You're going to people and you're sharing. I know a good God who longs to be in relationship with you. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more on our messages or information about our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. We hope you have a great week.